only source of true delight whom I unseen adore. Unveil thy beauties to my sight that I might love thee more. Oh, that I might love thee more. You're listening to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. The following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding dying. Romans 8, verse 1. Let's hear the word of God. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. The word of the Lord. Let's ask the Lord to help us as we consider his word. Lord, the psalmist prayed, open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. And we, Lord, come to this treasure, a treasure that reveals your glory, that reveals your salvation. It reveals ourselves that, Lord, exposes us and declares what we are, who we are, what we can be in Christ, what is available to us in Christ. It gives us a whole perspective on life, a whole perspective on the history of the world, a whole perspective on the future, our hope that we have in you, Lord God. Thank you, O Sovereign God, ruler over all things, now ruling specifically through your Son, our Redeemer, at the right hand of the Father. Thank you that you come to us in your word. You come to us intimately, even now, to deal with our lives by your Holy Spirit. We pray, Lord, bless us to that end. We ask it in the name of our precious Savior Christ. Amen. Uh, One of the most uh, amazing live dog demonstrations I ever saw was a little black poodle. I don't remember his name, but Coco would have been a great name for this little dog. It was uh, a smaller poodle, and its owner, uh, Bob, would uh, have Coco 
lie down, and, and he would put treats on Coco's paws. And these treats, Coco just craved, you know. I mean, just craved these treats. Could, if you'd have put a whole bowl of those treats, she'd have made herself sick on them, you know, just that kind of favorite for this dog. So he would put, he, he would make her sit and say, look at me, Coco, and she would just stare at him. He'd say, he'd put those treats on her paws, and she'd just be sitting there. And he'd just look at her and say, not now, not now. She just wouldn't move, not now. Okay. And when he says, okay, boom, boom, <laughs> it's gone. Just like, like, a, like a snake, you know, snapping something. It's just it's like, did she eat it? Did she move or not? You know, like, was she faking me off? It, it, they just disappeared from her paws. She was so eager to eat those. But what it teaches you, of course, is that more than even eating the biscuits, the treats, was doing the will of her master. That that held sway. She would have the treats, but she would have them when he said. And it's interesting because she had to trust him too, didn't she? She knew the treats were hers, but they came when he said they would come, and she trusted in him and she did his word, no matter what it was. And she, of course, had treats. Uh, now, uh, this, uh, the reason I begin with that is that this passage is so much about pleasing God. And what happens when God redeems us is to take us from a situation in which not only do we not please God, but he says there in verse 7, uh, verse 8, that we cannot please God. We don't please Him. We don't have the ability, which would mean we have such a distaste for God. We have such a hostility toward His authority over us, such a hostility toward being dependent upon Him that we refuse Him. We, we cannot bring ourselves to submit to God. We just can't. There's not, we, our view of him, that there's not enough in you. There's not enough worth in you for me to just give my life up to you. I just can't do it. I can't. So it's not the kind of can't where I can't, you know, lift 500 pounds over my head. It's, there's a refusal at the heart of it. But there's such, it, it's, it's bound up in who we are and what we really want in life. You can just say, we just can't. Can't bring ourselves to do it. But the implication in all of this is that for those who are in the Spirit, they do submit to God's law and they do begin to please God. And they are not hostile anymore as a fundamental way of life. Though we still fight our hostility, we still fight our tendency not to submit to His Word, we, we still fight our tendency not to please Him, but the basic bent of our life has changed. There's been a transformation. There's a fundamental new world that we live in, and it's a, a new life that we live uh, in Christ, joined to His Spirit. So that living in the Spirit, it's implied here, uh, we are in life in peace, verse 6, because we are not hostile to God. We do submit ourselves to His law. We do begin to please Him. Which, by the way, in verse 4, is basically what he said, that... Jesus so worked so that now the requirement of the law can be fulfilled in us. Now, in that statement in verse 4, 
the emphasis is on what God does for us. He's the unspoken subject of that. It's not so much, even though we must do it, it's, it's not framed in those terms so that we obey the law, but that God's power and work will, will mean that His law is fulfilled in us. He will bring it about because we walk in the Spirit now. We don't walk in that flesh. We don't walk apart from God in our own strength, batting our head against uh, God's Word. So uh, today and next week, we're going to talk some about this flip side of pleasing God because it's such, it's obviously so important as he underscores the nature of our, our life in the flesh. And in all of Scripture, this really is the heart of what our relationship to God is. Uh, later in Romans 12, for instance, when he says that you're to, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, that word acceptable is the same word as pleasing here. So, and he says, this is your spiritual worship. This is worship. This is what it's all about. So it's giving myself up to him to please him. In one sense, you could say, that's the whole of the Christian life. Everything is about that. Seeking, and, and we'll explore that some next week, of how it's to discern the will of God. It's to live in a way that's pleasing to Him. As Paul summarizes it in 2 Corinthians 5, 9, whether we are at home, that is, at home in the body, or we are leaving the body, whatever our condition, we make it our aim to please Him. That's it. That defines me. Every day that defines why I do what I do is to please Him. Gives an energy and can give a joy, a relish to life that that is my life, is to please this God that has given Himself to me in Christ Jesus. Now, next week I want to explore kind of the ins and outs of this daily obedience, but today I want to focus more on the root of this, which is our relationship to His Word which is very prominent here, isn't it? Because he says, those who are in the law cannot please God right after he says they cannot submit to his word. So they're equated, they're synonymous. We, there's no pleasing God apart from a relationship to his word. And, and the very definition of the salvation that's set forth here has to do with that word. Christ Jesus, he says in verse 3, uh, Condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law could be fulfilled in us. That's the end result that he wants to accomplish is to see us have a new relationship to the word of God, to the commands of God. And our condition as unbelievers is described in those terms. Hostile because we don't submit to that law. We can't please him. So if we're going to talk about pleasing Him, we have to first talk about our relationship to His Word because there can be no pleasing Him apart from that. And so in terms of verse 2, when it says the Spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death, it, it's defined then the freedom is the freedom to begin to please Him by having a new relationship in it to His Word. It's a new relationship to God. It must be a new relationship to His Word. Now, I'm just going to set forth a couple of images uh, before you that hopefully will stick some in just an encouragement to you to redouble your efforts to give yourself to His, to his Word. The first one is, I'm just going to say, let the Word herd you. Okay? 
a herding image, and then the second one's going to be a planting image. So our relationship to God's Word, think of it as that which herds you, and herds you to God and to love to others, and then uh, a planting image. <clears throat> now, I was reading uh, a little bit about uh, herding dogs, okay, in preparation for this, and came across the uh, Australian cattle dog. And <clears throat> here's a description uh, of, of the dog. He says... Uh, Australian cattle dogs are sturdy, compact, symmetrically built working dogs of great agility, strength, and endurance. They're always alert, notably intelligent, watchful, courageous, trustworthy, very loyal, and protective watchdogs of their owner's property. The Australian cattle dog puppies are quick learners and very active, like the adults. Now, I wish I had an Australian accent uh, since it's an Australian cattle dogs, and my English accent is, is very bad, but I just think this next sentence needs something, <clears throat> okay? <laughs> I just love the way this reads. One should note, however, that they have a strong natural instinct to nip what they heard, okay? And so early formal training is important so that they will realize little children are not to be herded and never to be nipped. <laughs> it just sounds like an English person wrote that. And never to be nipped, you know. I'd lo- I-, I can imagine that being used at a women's conference. Husbands are not to be herded and never to be nipped, you know. <laughs> of course, I think more accurately it would re- read this way. Husbands are to be herded carefully and nipped only when necessary. <laughs> Don't you think that's a little more accurate? Oh, and then this uh, understatement. With untrained cattle dogs, this can lead to rather serious consequences. (laughs) And they even urge you again. They tend to bond to the whole family. And bearing in mind the above-mentioned instinctive problem can be great family companions. So it's like be careful with that Australian cattle dog or he'll be nipping your little ones, you know. You might be thinking, my three-year-old could use some nipping, you know. <laughs> but but uh, so, anyway, these, these herding dogs, though, it, though there's kind of this negative sense of being herded by a dog, right? But these dogs, of course, are critical for the life of these animals, aren't they? I mean, a sheep's life is dependent on its hanging with the uh, herd and keeping them from wandering off in all kind of dangers or just being alone and, and dying on their own is a critical function. This isn't optional, of course, for the sheep. Uh, it is essential for its well-being. And I'd like for you to think of gathering as many of those herding animals around you as you can. And that's why we constantly are immersing ourselves in the Word. And as you do it day after day and you think long and hard about that Word and You try to get emotion, you try to explore it, you try to get it to be a part of your life. What you're bringing in is a force, you see, a motive, a strength, something that's pushing you and pointing you and directing you, influencing you, drawing you. It's that constant influence of the Word, that, could we say, hurting of the Word, that we have to have constantly as believers. That's... It's the way God draws you closer and closer to himself. 
It's the way he unlocks his beauty and glory so that you fix more and more upon him and and you grow to love him and adore him more and more. And that's more and more of an influence in in your life. It's interesting how uh, Paul talks about pleasing God more and more in 1 Thessalonians 4 verses 1. So there's this growth in our lives of wanting to please him And of course, how in the world can I think about pleasing him if I ignore where he set forth his will? How can I think about that just in general I'm just going to please God when the the moving, hurting, strengthening, drawing influence of that word that will shape me and really change the way I live over a period of time, I just don't expose myself to it. And so to talk about... Uh, pleasing God, we must think about how is God's Word influencing me. Uh, We must have its promises and its urgings and its warnings, its hope and encouragement to be lively and fresh and strong in our lives, always moving and nudging and persuading and prodding and attracting, hurting you, okay? That word always gathering you up and pointing you in the direction of God. You really want to feel that you're always in the grip of the word. It always has your heart. You're, you're captivated, fascinated. You're always, you know, in, in your spare time, you're, you're puzzling over it. You're seeking to figure something out. You're trying to explore the meaning of it, the connections, the themes. You're trying to get at it, you know. It's just, let me just say, that, that sounds like, you know, the minister's responsibility. Well, it is in a, in a particular way to try to bring that word to you. But I, I wouldn't say it's everybody's duty. It's your glorious privilege, you know, that you've been given this word. You've been given, afforded this wonderful opportunity to explore the most glorious things in this world. And so the Word becomes every believer's lifetime project. And you have to say, believer, believe what? What do you believe? If you call yourself a believer, you have to ask, well, what do you believe? The only thing to believe is what's revealed in His Word. There's nothing outside of that to believe about God besides what He tells you about Himself in His Word. And that's why we say, even in our confession of faith, before the congregation, before the session, I receive and rest on him as he's offered in the gospel. So it's really hard to say I'm a believer in Christ, but I have no regular relationship to his word. Because you have to ask, believe what? Do you believe in him as your teacher? Do you believe in him as your king? And, and he's expressing his will, and he's setting forth his beauty, and And you don't have any relationship to that, you see. So we really have to ask those serious questions. Even among illiterate believers in the history of the world and then around the world even now, they're known for being able to listen to sermons, sometimes for an hour, sometimes for two hours, and really carrying most everything they hear with them where they go. You know, to be a part of their thoughts and their discussions They may not have their own Bible. Uh, They're not able to read it anyway, but they make a feast of what they hear and they they meditate on it and they enrich their hearts uh, by it. 
And they look forward to the next time that they'll hear more and, and follow that into their lives. And I'm afraid for us sometimes we, we don't take advantage of what we have in this word and we're not even doing what the illiterate people do with the spoken word. We're like falling into the gap, you know. What we're hearing and then we don't, we don't really focus on that as though I've got to have this as though I'll never hear anything again, maybe. I've got to hold on to this word. And then we don't think of it daily as that wonderful a thing. And we, we work so hard, or that the church has through Wycliffe, to, to make sure the word is translated into everybody's language. I mean, you know, people spend sometimes five years and more of their whole life just so that a people can have the word in their language. And you think, could I be one that has that privilege and I just ignore it? And then, especially what we're talking about here, we are those, by God's grace, that have been reformed so that we want to please Him. And the first step of pleasing Him, of course, is to come to His Word. And so, I'd say, dislodge yourself from the non-habit of meditating on God's Word, or if you'd like, the habit of not meditating on God's Word. You know, tobacco in itself is not evil, and it can be enjoyed in moderation, we, we would say. Tobacco itself is not, you know, an evil thing. But if you have a three-day, uh, three-pack-a-day habit, it's probably certain that you're taking years off your life, okay? Uh, that you're killing yourself early. And we'd have to say, if the Word of God is not at the forefront of the mix of stuff that's governing your thinking, if you're not thinking on it and dwelling on it, if you're not considering its meaning for your life, if in some way you're not being amazed by it, encouraged by it, convicted by it, thrilled by it, if it's not actively hurting you and changing you, pouring its vitality and strength and joy and hope into your life, if, if you basically have a habit of ignoring that word and it's not the regular influence of your life, then that's lethal. It's lethal. Nothing else could be said in, in light of the word. The very beginning of... Uh, well, of Psalms, and now we move from a herding to a planting uh, image. But the very beginning, it's interesting, Psalm 1 acts as a, like the front porch of all the worship of the Psalms. So if the Psalms is viewed as the, you know, the temple or the whole world of worship and the many ways of praise and pouring out your pain before God, confessing sin, here's the front porch, here's the doorway. And right at the doorway, almost, it's like this is fundamental to all worship, that the blessed man delights in the law of God day and night. And he's like a tree planted by streams of water. That this is fundamental to all worship. Now, kids, some of you heard me talk about this in one of our classes, but if, if you see a satellite map of the United States, there's a place where the the green kind of ends and the brown starts. We're kind of on the edge of that right here in Fort Worth. But if you start going west, there's mainly more and more brown. Now, if you're flying over one of those brown areas, though, it could be just all brown as you look below. 
and then you just see this snake of green, you know, this snake of green, a ribbon of verdure, so to speak, that, that's going. You know that this ribbon of forests is around a river, right? Uh, you know that these trees basically are all huddled on this riverbank, kind of like you and I would be around a campfire, you know, on a freezing night. So all these trees are huddled around uh, this, uh, this river, and their roots are all stretched out toward that water. You know, just, I can just hear them saying, oh, yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah, They're just sinking those roots constantly into that water. And pardon my grammar, but those trees is us. Okay, those trees is us. We planted by rivers of living water or not. How can I be planted? How am I planted by rivers of living water if I'm delighting in that word and it's my meditation? Otherwise, I'm not. I'm like a bush in the desert. I'm 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 drying up. I, I can't be fruitful. There's no way. And so. What's encouraging, though, if you're a believer, he's really already planted you at that water bank. Because if you believe in Jesus Christ, you've begun to believe in the message of that word. If you trust Christ as your Savior and your Lord, you've basically put your life in his hands for forgiveness. Then you are planted there. And you've been planted there at the beginning of your faith. But now we say, stretch forth your roots so that that precious water so that will be yours. So that, as it says in Psalm 1, your leaves will never, never wither and your fruit will produce in its season. So that your fruitful life begins to spill out in all areas, even in the most difficult of times. And that's... What he says, those who walk in the Spirit, which would mean those who are giving themselves up to his will, he says, those who walk in the Spirit or of the Spirit, their life is life and peace, verse 6. To set the mind on the Spirit or the mind of the Spirit, literally, is life and peace. And peace, shalom, of course, uh, is being put back together. You know, there are places that mend your broken china or broken vase. In some cases, people say you can hardly tell that the peace was broken and and that's what God's Word does for your life and my life. It just pieces us back together gradually uh, and will put us to, together completely one day. And this is the way He puts you back together, is His Word. It is the instrument, the tool in the Spirit's hand. It's the tool in the Spirit's hand even if it's mediated through another person in discussion or even if it's mediated through their life as you see the Word demonstrated in their life. It is the Word taking root in other people's life or even they're sharing with you the word or proclaiming the word to you. And all the more important for us to plant ourselves there given the counter-influences of our culture. You know, there was a day when you had to go to a concert to hear music, which is amazing, isn't it, because of the availability of music 24-7. Any kind of music, anytime, anywhere, I can hear it. And I can block out the whole world and listen to it, right? But there was a time where you'd have to gather up and all go somewhere where people are, are playing it. Or if you wanted to go to a theater, you had to see a play. I mean, there was no electricity, no radio, TVs, phones of any kind. It was back when Ben Dice was a wee little boy. <laughs> of course, we're about the same age, so I must have been a wee little boy too then. But 
But you know, the only competition people had, the main competition was just other books, really. To read this or to read the Bible. I mean, that was your main thing. And most people didn't have other books. The first thing they would get, of course, in most Christian cultures, they'd have a Bible. But now, of course, entertainment of every kind, 24-7. If it's not music, it's surfing the web. And if not surfing the web, it's Facebook and the like. If not Facebook, it's PlayStation or Wii. If it's not that, it's primetime dramas and miniseries and sitcoms and reality shows and sports uh, TLC, Discovery, Bravo, HGTV, or it's HBO Showtime, or Pay-Per-View, or Blockbuster, Redbox, Netflix. Okay, It's everywhere. Everything. Every available thing for you. Uh, how many times when you're watching football have you seen a fumble and it looks like all 22 guys are in the same pile, right? You know, everybody's just piling on. And, and you can see in the middle of it the the heart of that thing is just moving, you know, like molten lava, because you know some big, strong arms and hands are grasping and seizing and probably doing stuff we wouldn't want to know at the bottom of that pile trying to get that ball. And who knows how many times it's taken out of somebody's arms before they finally pull up and some guy's got it, you know. But I, I think of that, of all of these things, like your time is that football, and you got it, and everything is piled in on top of you trying to take that away from you, right? Trying to steal that time, trying to own your time. And especially from, from Satan's view, and he'll use all these good things because none of this is evil in itself. I mean, some of them can specifically be an evil, but if depending on the movie you see, of course. But movies in themselves, we uh, in itself, none of these things are evil in themselves. But if they constantly are taking our time so that at the end of the day, at the end of the week, in the month, in the year, uh, we can say, I just don't meditate in God's Word. And so we, we have to hold on to the ball, so to speak. We can't fumble that ball every day and, and say that I'm a believer in Christ. Um, you have to decide that nothing will take you away from the Word. We, though it's providentially it's going to happen, and sometimes it can happen for days, really just taken out of your hands practically because of, you know, life, just kids and work and emergencies and all kinds of things. And we're not trying to do this little rule every day. It's just a mindset that I will constantly make this the focus of my life. You might as well, if you do that, just... Hand your life over to these things. Just take it. Take it. You know. This, I can't, right now, it just came to my mind, this movie where the guy uh, just at the end just, just throws it out there and says, just take it away because they're, they're after it so badly. But because also these things are so mind-intensive, aren't they? It's not like, Knitting, you know, where you could sit there and knit for an hour and you could think of whatever you want to. You could be meditating on the Word and thinking of all these wonderful things in this mindless kind of thing. Of, and you'd make something for your daughter at the same time, you know. But these are mind-intensive, aren't they? You could be sitting there knitting and think about the uh, Genesis teaching in Sunday school or a conversation about John 15 on Wednesday night. But these things have your full attention that we're talking about, and they're like replacement items, right? 
They have their own content. And think how engaging and dramatic a good movie is. Think how it moves you emotionally. It completely draws you in for two whole hours. And it can set you to thinking. It can change your thinking. It gives you images that never leave you. A movie, and look, I love movies, okay? I, I majored in theater. I was going to make that my career at one point. You know, that I love that stuff. So I'm not, this isn't, you know, down on all media. I'm just trying to make the point that this creates an environment of meditation that I think is rarely matched in most, with most people's engagement with the Word of God. A two-hour concentration that's emotionally driven and gripping. That's good. That's wonderful. It's an amazing art piece. I'm, I'm astounded with the number of people that are... I'm simply saying, if we place that over here and we say, I have no emotional dealings with God's Word. I have no length of time ever in His Word. And it doesn't engage me and grip me and hold me. How can that be then at the root of everything I'm thinking? How can that be at the root of shaping me? hurting me. Just think of the, it's not wrong itself, but think of the difference of the impact in the pre-entertainment saturated world, right? Just think of the difference in the the, uh, impact. So we have to be thinking, is the Word of God having the significant primary impact on my life? One of the things I've noticed with my hearing And there was a time where I thought, by the time you're 50, you won't be able to hear anything because I was in a rock band for five years, you know. And and my my ears would ring for two or three days sometimes after we'd play, and it was before we ever used uh, earplugs. So I'm surprised that I hear anything at all, but apparently it's okay so far, except that if I really stop and it's quiet, my ears are always ringing, (laughs) so... So don't sneak up on me. <laughs> but the thing that I've noticed most is that, and I've, I've read about this, this is one of the early indicators that things are starting to slip a little bit, is if I'm in a loud restaurant and somebody's sitting across the table, it used to be nothing to zone everything else out and just zero on their you know, words. But now it's really hard for me. And I have to just concentrate, sometimes, you know, look at somebody's lips to make sure I'm picking up what they're saying. And I think that's a great picture of what we, the situation we are in in this world. And all these voices, all these influences are just clamoring and they're loud. And you have to sit there and you have to concentrate and you have to look at what the Word is saying. And you have to so listen that you're engaged and you're getting involved in what it's saying in the mid. And really, it's more than just the restaurant illustration because in our illustration, all these things are at your table and they're shouting at you, right? And you're trying to drown all that out and listen to this one voice. At least to have this voice be the influence in how you deal with all those other voices, right? This is what grips me. This is what has me. And this is what governs everything else. And so, for us, uh, this is our situation. And we all have to think through, what am I doing? How am I doing it in regard to this precious, precious Word of God that will unveil His beauty to me, uh, that will uh, give me life and hope and peace as he, he, He declares here.
Uh, we'll, we'll talk some more just about the attractiveness of this word, but I just want to end with this uh, encouragement to you because this passage is not about God saying, okay, get with it and start getting into the word, but this passage is saying God has so worked that the grace is yours now to have that kind of relationship to his word. He's not left you in the lurch. He saved you and he's saving you. And certainly the primary thing that God wants in your life is to create that kind of desire and to create that kind of discipline, to create that kind of energy so that you have this relationship in His Word. He's not indifferent to that. He's all about that. And His salvation is oriented toward that. Why would He say in the New Covenant, I will put my law in your heart? What does He mean by that? We've talked about that. He said, here's basically what I will do. And he mentions in that passage about forgiveness. But the other thing he says, and here's the other aspect of that. I'm going to put my law in your heart. That's what I'll do in the new covenant. How encouraging then. This is, this is not something that, well, it's like Ephesians where he says, put on the new self that is yours. Put on this new life that is yours. Put on this new capacity that God will give you to have this relationship to the Word. You know, one of the, of course, the movie now that's taken the place of all others at Christmas is A Christmas Story, right? Uh, Ralphie Parker. Uh, played by Peter Billingsley. He had his heart set on the Red Rider carbon action 200-shot range model air rifle with a compass in the stock and a thing which tells time. All right? And it's that rifle that's the whole, the whole of the movie is just bent upon that. And we finally get to Christmas morning, and he, the, the, the scene of Christmas morning opens up with his little brother just dead asleep on wads of paper, you know, like... Just a bomb went off, you know, and all these presents are open. And there's uh, Ralphie sitting between his father and mother, uh, father played by Darren McGavin. And uh, so the mom says to Ralphie, did you have a nice Christmas? Yeah, pretty nice. Because he doesn't have the rifle yet. None of the presents had the rifle. Did you have a nice Christmas? Yeah, pretty nice. Dad, did you get everything you wanted? Well, almost. Almost, huh? Well, that's, that's life. Oh, there's always next Christmas. And there's a pause, and you remember, he says, Hey, that's funny. What's that over there behind the desk? Ralphie, you know, a little interested. Where? Behind the desk, against the wall over there. Why don't you go check it out? Go on, go on. And, of course, gets behind the desk, pulls it out. It's the rifle, you know. And my point is this. God has given you the capacity in His grace. It's, it's like when He says, consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God. Consider yourself one who has been saved to have this vital relationship to God's will. And it's almost as though God says, hey, there it is. It's there. I've, I've bought and paid that this is your salvation. Walk in it. Walk in it. Let your life take on this aspect of being one who pleases God because you've begun to give yourself helplessly up to His Word. Let us pray. Oh Lord, bless us. Bless us that we will 
walk in this word, that we will be men and women and boys and girls who live to please you, that it will not be a burden to us but a joy, and that we will walk in the freedom of your word, in the joy of your word, the promises of your word, that we will even take your commands as commands of a loving God, every one of them precious and valuable for us, to help us walk in life and peace, as Paul says here. O Lord, set us free from our hostility. Set us free so that we will submit gladly and, Lord, eagerly, even as we pray that we do your will on earth as it is in heaven, that we will have that eagerness, that quickness, that joy that even the angels have in their obedience. Oh, bring it about by your sovereign grace. We would expect it because of your mercy and promise. Amen. The pleasing scene is clouded or with pain. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. Jesus, my Lord, my life, my light, oh, come with blissful rain. Break radiant through the shades of night And chase my fears away Won't you chase my fears away?